0: Welcome to Virgin Territories, a podcast by the CSPH. Each episode, we bring you new guests, new topics, and ask all the questions you're dying to know. Without further ado, please welcome your host, Vima Manfredo.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Vima Manfredo, with pronouns she and her. And today, we have two very special guests. Atticus and Alex. Uh, I'll let them introduce themselves. So, Atticus, tell us about yourself.
2: Hi. Uh, yes, I am Atticus. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Um, I have been with the CSPH for just about a year now um, as an intern. And I just recently graduated from the University of Rhode Island with a degree in psychology.
1: Thank you,
0: Atticus. And, Alex? Hi, I am Alex Weaver. My pronouns are they, them. I am a personal trainer, small business owner and activist, and I have been working in the fitness industry, which is a term I don't love, but uh, I've been working in fitness for three years now. And I focus on creating a trauma-informed, inclusive space for my clients. Wonderful.
1: And what is, um, I'll let you do the, the plug-in for, for your business. So what is your business? So I am owner and head coach at uh, uh, Alien Athletes. Uh, we have a gym
0: in Warwick, Rhode Island. Currently, I am seeing clients remotely uh, via Zoom due to uh, COVID-19. But typically, I see clients in my gym space. I go to their homes. I do classes for a local organization called Thundermist. So I kind of do a variety of services through, throughout the community.
1: Awesome. What got you to, to the fitness, the fitness, um, air quotation marks, uh, industry. (laughs) So I actually was working at a gym,
0: uh, mostly because I just needed a job at the time and the job that I was at, I just hated and I wanted to do something different. So I uh, picked up a job at a gym and while I was working there, I read, um, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. And, um, if you're not familiar with that book, have you, have you read that book? I haven't, no. So um, it's a book talking about trauma. Um, And throughout the book, he kind of details different modalities of healing from trauma. And there's a big component around movement um, and breathing and all sorts of things related to like how your body actually processes trauma and stores trauma. And uh, at that point, I actually decided that I wanted to be a personal trainer. Um, I personally have PTSD. And so, reading that book, I saw a lot of the things that I had been doing. to kind of ground myself and to to find healthier ways to cope with some of the more intrusive uh, aspects of living with PTSD. So so I really wanted to become a trainer, number one, because I didn't see very many trainers who are non-binary, just in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Trans and non-binary trainers are few and far between, unfortunately. Um, And also because I wanted to um, offer something that people weren't really considering, which is like the, the trauma-informed aspect. Um, So, so yeah.
1: Awesome. Thank you. Um, So you talked a little bit about your journey to becoming a fitness trainer. Um, Is that what drove you to create alien athletes as well? I imagine. Yes. So I finished my certification.
0: And as soon as I finished my um, CBT, I so your certified personal training certification. Um, I decided to branch off from like the big box gyms, which is a fancy way of referring to like your planet fitnesses, uh, anytime fitness, those, those big brand gyms that have like chain locations. Um, I didn't really want to recreate the model of fitness that, uh, I had been involved in and seen previously, which includes a lot of toxic masculinity. Um, a lot of ableism, fat phobia, transphobia, homophobia, you name it they have it sexism so um, I thought that the only way to kind of do that would be to separate and create my own space so what I actually ended up doing was converting a space in our house into a gym so um, we actually built the gym off of our own house like in a room that used to be like a four seasons room and um, I slowly piece by piece bought equipment uh, most of it used off of like Facebook marketplace um, you name it Craigslist whatever. Uh, and then, uh, by the time I, you know, got to now, which is almost two, just two years and some change after starting my business. Um, I now have like a fully functional gym. I see clients or I was seeing clients, um, five days a week in my house. Now I'm seeing them via zoom. Um, I'm also, tra- I also travel to clients who, um, would prefer to have like an in-home visit or, uh, maybe just feel more comfortable. Um, not going into a gym space at all, which a lot of people actually have a lot of trauma around being in gym spaces, which is another reason why I thought it was so important to create a different environment.
1: Right. These conventional gym spaces are usually full of scary people um, in <laughs> one way, or people that have heard their advice without being asked. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I don't go to a gym, a normal gym. Um I started building my own here behind me. Um, oh awesome. No really? one can see in the podcast, but um i I can definitely identify with that that very overwhelming space and I know that your uh alien alien athletes also includes health and fitness for all body types, all mm-hmm. genders and all abilities um how are queer and disabled bodies neglected and overlooked in the fitness world and what can we do to make it better as patrons of normal gyms or through alien wow so that's that's a loaded question
2: um so the
0: the first thing that always comes to mind for me when i think about big box gyms is segregated locker rooms so you have everything segregated by gender in most gyms so for queer and trans folks, that means that, you know, if you don't feel comfortable going into one locker room or the other, um, or you aren't prepared to have perhaps like a negative interaction with someone who might think that you're in the quote, air quotes, wrong locker room, um, you you just can't change, you can't use the bathroom, you can't shower at the gym. So that already is creating a problem right there. Because if right. you don't have at least a, an inclusive, um, an inclusive uh, restroom or shower space for people to use, then you're already setting up a lot of folks for failure. Um, in terms of ableism, there are so many things I can list. There are so many gyms that don't have um, they don't have uh, accessible access to the building. Um, you know, a lot of trainers have no idea how to work with people who have chronic illness, injuries, um, any sorts of things. There's there's a, there's this mindset that um, you the idea of like what is healthy. Um in the industry, like what health means. Um, a lot of people are kind of referring to it as healthism now. Um, it It favors a certain body type uh, that is typically thin, white, cisgendered, um, what we would call like able-bodied. Uh, and it absolutely just excludes so many people from even seeing themselves in a quote health health related uh, environment. Uh, it just really it closes the doors for so many people before they even walk in. It just really excludes so many people, right? So to move away from that, because I could go on all day saying all the things that are currently wrong. Um, I think a big part of it is number one. So talking about like toxic fitness culture. So um, that includes things like diet culture, um, which um, are you familiar with the term diet culture?
1: A bit, yeah. yes. But so, you can go into it for whoever it doesn't on the listeners, of course. Of course. sure. Um, so
0: and also if I, if I say something and it needs to be explained, please feel free to jump in and stop me. Cause I oftentimes forget that I, I think about these things all day long and not everyone is thinking about them all day long. Yeah. Um, so diet culture manifests in a lot of ways. Um, a lot of it uh, has to do with, um, you know, where number, so, sorry, this is gonna have to be cut out for a second. Um, so diet culture manifests in a lot of ways so the first of which being um which bodies are considered good bodies and so um in diet culture like thin is the ideal and so there is this like pre- uh, prevalent idea that like you must be if you're working out you must be trying to lose weight Is like one of the the leading things um and if you aren't trying to lose weight you must be trying to you know if you're a man you must be trying to get like really buff and like have this like certain physique And, um, if you don't like want the aesthetics of fitness, then you aren't like working hard enough or you don't have the right priorities in reality. Um, in order to break away from that kind of mentality, instead of focusing on the aesthetics or like what body type is considered to be fit. Um, we should be talking about like, how do you feel in your body? What exercises make you feel good? Um, what do you enjoy about working out? Do you enjoy certain movements more than others? Do certain movements make you feel bad? And, um, so in that sense like that's kind of the first piece in taking a step away from that diet culture part. Now the toxic masculinity that is a whole separate piece and I I think that has a lot to do with just our society and our culture in general. There's this idea that like, you know, certain bodies uh non-cis male bodies don't belong in certain spaces and that I've been to gyms where uh you could tell that um I was definitely not welcome and Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. That's, that's a challenging question. Um, I think for the most part, so myself and other people I know who are working from a more like radical perspective, um, around fitness, most of us are working out of smaller gyms or out of like our own home gym spaces. Um, or we are traveling to our clients. Um, and there are people, uh, like decolonizing fitness, non-normative bodies club. Um, there are at least 10 to 15 people I can think of off the top of my head who are doing this work but we're all kind of spread out all over the country right now. So, uh, unfortunately it's still not kind of the mainstream um and I think it'll be a while before we get to a point where more people are adopting these practices. But uh I do think we're starting to see more places that you know uh, that um toxic masculinity and like uh other forms of discrimination aren't like allowed to even enter the spaces um let alone be like what is the dominant culture so i think that that's that's kind of where we're starting but there's just so much to undo i i have to say that it is it is a daunting task
1: um and you you touched a little bit on diet culture but Mm -hmm. along with diet culture we also have body positivity which felt like the opposite but in another movement which is the body neutrality. Can you speak a little bit of the I was just seeing
2: Alex get like pumped to talk about this topic.
1: (laughs) I hope you can all see the video, but this was a good one. (laughs) So
0: so absolutely the body neutrality so body positivity kind of was this co opting of the the anti diet movement that kind of centered it somehow again centered actually predominantly thin cis white women. Um, And what ended up happening was it was this idea that you just had to love your body all the time, which is honestly entirely unrealistic for most people. And so body neutrality gives you the freedom to not have to feel like you're a failure for not loving your body, but also to recognize that like, you don't have to have, your body is not good or bad. Like regardless of what your body can or cannot do or what it looks like, your body is neither good nor bad your body is your body and it works hard to take care of you sometimes it may not do as great of a job uh in my case i have to say that there are many times that i struggle even with neutrality as someone with chronic illness um it can definitely be a challenge to not be upset with how you're feeling um but i think so separating from that idea that every day you're going to have a great day every day you're going to have a great workout every day you're going to wake up and be like man i love my body because that's just not attainable and to try to feed that message is like almost as bad as the opposite in which you're telling everyone that they have bad bodies and if they're not work- working out all the time that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So right. it's, neutrality gives you that happy medium where you're able to kind of embrace yourself where you are. And if you have a bad body image day or you wake up one day and you just feel like terrible, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Um, yeah, you are. <laughs> okay, if yeah. you feel like if you wake up and you if you wake up and you feel like shit, you know, like you're allowed to say, "Man, I feel like shit." And yeah. you can rest that day and you can take care of yourself and whatever way that looks like. Um and there's there's more space to be authentically yourself and to kind of feel what's happening in your body as it's occurring and it's almost like a more I feel like it's more mindful as well because it allows right. room for both the good and the bad.
2: Right. Yeah. I've actually been um Sorry to interrupt. Um, but I have I've found that um, the, the time that the gym was closed, um, the 30 month window where I was forced to do at home workouts and kind of reassess how hard I was taking things. Um, when I started my gym journey, um, I decided that when they opened back up, um, I was not going to force myself to be there five or six days a week. If it felt wrong to me, you know, um, and I've, I've had to learn how to accept that the days that I don't work out are as okay as the days that I do, you know what I mean? And I find that my, my workouts, I go about four times a week now and I find that that extra time has actually made my workouts way better. Um, have a lot more mental clarity. I'm not constantly feeling like I'm just pushing myself and not enjoying what's going on with my body and my progress. Um, so, yeah, so being in quarantine kind of, I, I decided that it was a good time to kind of reassess what my relationship with working out was. Um, and yeah, having that extra couple of days has really just totally changed everything. So.
0: And- and I think that you make a really good point about the not needing to be in the gym seven days a week, five to seven days a week. I think a lot of people miss out on that rest part of the equation because right. when you're yeah. building muscle, you're also tearing muscle fibers. Every time you work out, right. you have to let your body recover or else you are, even if you are, you know, a Olympian, like you have rest days for a reason. And I think our culture has really prioritized this idea that we have to really just like Always be grinding. Always be like trying to get some, something done because of capitalism and just all of these like overarching
2: right.
0: structures yeah. that reinforce to idea. <laughs> yeah, it really, honestly does. It really does. <laughs> which, speaking of which, uh, just as a side note, another thing that I have done in my uh, since I uh, own my own business and I'm able to actually set my rates, which is another advantage of not working for a big box gym, is I actually only use sliding scale because oh. I i know that a lot of gyms really extort trainers and also the in turn the trainers are forced to sell predatory packages for those gyms because of capitalism yeah. so yeah. the only way to ethically be a trainer if you unless you're working for like a small studio where it's you know like friend or family run where you have more control over like who you're seeing and the atmosphere if you have a contract with like a big gym like there it's just so hard to not screw people over because You're signing someone into a contract saying that they have to do X number of sessions, they have to pay for them. And if they don't, like that business is going to charge them whether you want them to or not. So that was a big part of why I left the gym that I was working out and started my own thing pretty much immediately because I knew that the rates at that gym were also not accessible to like many of the members of my community, including myself, (laughs) who would want to be accessing (laughs) those services. So yes, it does. All of it does come back to capitalism as well. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but it, that is great that you're making uh, fitness accessible for people with less means that they can't afford the big boxes and they don't want to be swindled by the big boxes. Right. We we had that issue a few years ago. We joined the X gym, whatever the name was. And after we stopped going, it was so difficult to c- cancel the membership mm. so they will stop charging us. And it was jumping through hoops to finally get to the point of, hey, listen, we, we did our contract up for the year. You shouldn't be charging us anymore. So those are the kind of things that make spaces like that less accessible for people that don't have the means. Um,
2: right.
1: Yeah. Um, and I,
0: I will say that those trainers that I mentioned earlier who are doing similar, like, kind of radical fitness work, um, also most of them use sliding scale as well. So there are, there are a lot of people who are trying to operate outside of this traditional fitness model, um, both in who they are making space for and prioritizing in their gyms and also in how they're offering their services and how they're, uh, prioritizing like rates and sliding scale and all of that kind of stuff. So that is, it's, wow. that is something that positive about this. I, I want to make sure that I don't only say all <laughs> the bad things about the fitness industry, cause there are good things happening. Um, you just have yes. to look for them. <laughs> right.
2: So why, when you were using quotation marks earlier in regards to fitness industry, um, mm-hmm. what, can I ask what exactly the, is that because of all of the, the capitalism and the, the, the kind of the commandeering of what the new topical term is to just make it into the same thing that came before it? Is that what you're trying to avoid?
0: Yes. So sense? it's kind of a twofold answer. So you have like the the diet industry and the fitness industry are like married. So they yeah. are they're very merged. So between the two of them, you have like these I, I assume billion dollar industries. I don't know exactly how much yeah. money they bring, but I assume billion dollars. And um so you have multiple levels of exploitation happening. You also have the companies that uh there are only so many accredited certs that you can get as a personal trainer. So mine are through a company called NASM and the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And even just getting my cert was an expensive and timely thing, not because Mm -hmm. of the educational piece, but because of the way that they make the certs so that you have to renew them and pay fees every two years. So they make everything about the industry be about cash flow. So- so when i'm talking about the industry i'm talking about like the money-making machine that exploits literally everyone except for the owners of these big chains and the owners of these certs and the owners of these diet supplements and all these other things that are that are ultimately raking in all the profits while everyone below them is based is being exploited or suffering as a result of the way that they practice and that even goes for so for example when i worked the gym that i was working at is a chain that is across um there's some in Boston, New York, uh, Washington, there's a bunch of them. And uh, I actually, while I was there, I was offered discounted training with one of the other trainers, and I thought, oh, like I have an employee discount I should do it with this trainer. And everything about that experience was like peak fitness industry. So number one, he i I don't think I was even out to him about my pronouns. I'm sure I wasn't because I just he was very like a very much like a toxic masculine dude, but I wanted to learn how to box. So, right. yeah. yeah. so, I, so I scheduled, <laughs> and it was, it was, it was exactly what you'd expect. So this, this guy, despite knowing that I've like, you know, I've been an athlete, I'm working on my trainer cert. I know my way around the gym. I work there. um, Took it upon himself to make myself vomit, to make me vomit during my first session with him, like worked me so hard no. and then was like antagonized me in a way that I like, I like fell right into it so, because I was just like, I didn't want to look, bad in front of my coworker. So yeah. so long story short, um I feel like I've lost my train of thought there. But so all that to say, that's like that after that experience, I was like, wow, no, this is truly terrible for everyone in every facet of like you, there's no escaping how bad everything is. Like <laughs> like when you have trainers who are bragging about making people sick. Or yeah. like that they they murdered I'm air quoting again, murdered someone in a workout or you know that just it, it's just there's so many layers of things wrong that uh, it's just like a, it's almost like a factory full of harm. That's the only way I can really describe it. when it's when it's in, it's like traditional what it has been for many years, uh, original structure. Uh, I just think it's a place where people feel shame, people are harmed. People feel like they're not good enough they have to prove themselves and they end up doing dangerous or harmful things to themselves because they feel like they have to prove themselves and right. it's really just it's it's just a big it's a machine yeah that's what it is
2: but and we even yeah. see that in in media too um especially that show that was on years ago uh the biggest loser oh my god um,
0: it, they just renewed that unfortunately
2: oh did they oh yes a there's
0: movie. a reboot somehow oh. unfortunately
2: that show was just Uh, if you're not in pain and you're not suffering, you're not earning it. Right. Um, Which was just, I think that might've been a big reason why that culture kind of took off in the early 2000s Um, because that show was a massive hit.
0: Um, Well, and you also have, so this is kind of a good segue because you also have, so the other thing that happens between the fitness industry and the diet industry is that uh, they create eating disorders together. Yeah. So yeah. people can, you know, enter a quote fitness journey uh, with a trainer and leave that with an obsession with, you know, weighing their food, counting calories, something that will either eventually turn into disordered eating or might already be disordered eating. And a lot of the trainers who are working with these folks don't recognize when that's happening and are also working outside of their scope of practice. So, right. for example, if you aren't a registered dietitian you really shouldn't be talking about diet with anyone like right. that's just kind of you should just be staying in your lane but there are so many trainers you will see who have no nutritional certs who are selling nutrition plans online uh and just kind of especially it's even worse in my opinion when they're trying on preying on trans folks because there's this overlap between folks who have dysmorphia and have dysphoria and sometimes it can be yeah. hard to untangle those two things and like for myself i can definitely say that it's it's a challenge you know like am i having am i experiencing dysmorphia right now or dysphoria like what's happening um and when you don't know that and someone's just telling you that you'll feel better if you lose weight like you're going to do whatever you need to do to lose that weight and that is a direct form of harm and trauma that just keeps being replicated in so many different ways
2: yes absolutely um and the experience that i have uh I, I have personally gone through, um, on and off since I was about 13, I want to say, which is just way too young for that cycle to start. Um, but I also think the, the problem with eating disorders, especially is that a lot of times they can be really insidious, mm-hmm. um, where when people are obsessively counting the calories, they will not accept or acknowledge that that is a form of disordered eating. You right I mean. right um, and, and i think that's been a really big problem too is that this diet culture has been perpetuated so easily and for so long that a lot of people can't even recognize what an eating disorder actually is at this point
0: yes and i think there are a lot of so this is also another good segue um so the health <laughs> the health at every size movement uh is a really great resource for folks who are looking for dietitians or um, practitioners who are not focused on weight loss and are not um, Mm -hmm. partaking in diet culture. Um, But I think that because there's a a bigger, there's, there are more resources for folks who are trying to figure out like, how they can have a better relationship with their body and food specifically. And a big piece of that is the health at every size diet, uh, registered dietitians. Um, And so locally, uh, the SHAPE Center um, is a website where you can go to to find health at every size dietitians, dietitians, yoga instructors, personal trainers, um, so that if you are looking to work on your connection with your body in whatever facet, I think there's also actually, I know there's also healthcare providers on there too, which is another piece is the, uh, the stigma around weight in healthcare in general, no. which also yeah. pushes people into these unhealthy patterns. Right. Um, but Um, But I think that that is helping people recognize, you know, if I'm thinking about the portion of food that I'm going to measure out all day long, something might be wrong. And so there's a lot of things that people think like, oh, like I saw someone on Instagram doing this and they're a personal trainer and it must be healthy. And just because other people are doing it on the Internet doesn't always mean that it's a good idea. Um no. and I think that
2: <laughs> very I, rarely
0: for some things, for some things it seems more obvious than others, but because our culture revolves around so many of these ideas of cis heteronormative beauty that are censoring like thin white cisgender bodies, um yeah. that we just that's the messaging we receive from the moment we are born and can start consuming the messaging. Yeah. Um yeah. so it's a lot to unlearn. And even as someone who has been on this journey for years now. Like every once in a while, I'll catch myself like thinking something about myself or about something I'm eating, and be like, "Whoa, where'd that come from?" And then I'll be like, "Oh, diet culture, hello." So yeah, it just yeah. it's it's a lot to unpack. It's it's a lot. Yeah.
2: yeah,
1: and it's also drilled down to you from such an early age that it's very difficult to understand where that thought came from. You you were able to identify it rather quickly, maybe. But sometimes these thoughts come from family members, or they come from yeah. friends that have your best interests at heart. With or quotation marks, but really uh-huh. is just perpetuating that non that notion of your body, especially if you're um, raised as a as a cis woman, your body is meant for the eyes of others. So you need to make it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful for other people. It's not beautiful to you, it's for other people to enjoy. So you lose that ownership of your own self from a very early age, and that perpetuates through puberty all the way through your adulthood. And it it, it ends up in this area of disordered eating, obsessive exercising, and the mm-hmm. hate of your own body all the time so i i really like the 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 body neutrality thought process and movement because it bridges the gap between i'm happy about my body all the time which is something that is not attainable and it bridges that gap between that point and the point of i hate everything about my body and go in that middle of i can live with this and that is a more realistic Goal to have than trying to be always positive because always positive is ends up being awful at the end. <laughs> yes, you're just trying to hide <laughs> your bad emotions and just bottle them up, and then they come up in other places in your life, and yeah. then you have to figure out where they come from, and that's another can of worms. Which I will say, so that's the interesting piece. So, a lot of people ask about what
0: does trauma informed fitness look like and so in my opinion you cannot be a trauma informed fitness provider of any kind if you aren't also anti diet culture because the trauma that comes from diet culture and from this prioritization of certain bodies and certain um certain appearances um is is a trauma in and of itself right because you are being told over and over again that you're not good enough that you um should change yourself um and so and they're also if you look at our society at large like our society at large is set up to discriminate against people in larger bodies like um right. and you can see that in you know the difference in diagnosis between of uh, eating disorders between people in larger bodies and people in thin bodies right so you'll see like fat folks are often not diagnosed with eating disorders even though they are behave they're um engaging in harmful behaviors and binging and purging or whatever whatever it might be um right. but because of the stigma around weight they're not getting adequate care and they're actually being praised and encouraged to continue these behaviors to lose weight so there's yeah. there's really like a big systemic failure um in regards to that and then the trauma of also you know going to the doctor and not having your health concerns addressed because the doctors focused on your weight rather than listening to your concerns um that that is all extremely harmful and kind of ties back into why you know you just you can't with there's no way to be trauma-informed if you aren't aware of the isms the multiple isms that exist because if you're constantly microaggressing or straight up aggressing towards people because of their appearance their race their gender their whatever whatever it might be um that is not a safe space for them to you know explore their bodies experience movement whatever it might be um so i i do think that those things are also connected
1: yeah, and that and that connects too to gym spaces, in most gym spaces that I've seen where fat folks are also not invited to be in the in that area because they're fat, mm-hmm. which in itself, it's mind boggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, how
2: are they supposed to fix the, the problem that you think they have if you won't even allow them in the exactly. space where they can exercise?
0: And there's a lot of, you mentioned, um, like at the beginning of this conversation, we talked a little bit about ableism also in gyms, mm-hmm. but, um, so the ableism and fat phobia kind of goes hand in hand when you design classes where you refuse to give people modifications to fit their body's needs. So whether that yeah. person's in a larger body, whether that person has an injury, whether, you know, something feels painful for them, whatever it might be like a good coach should be able to kind of modify, um, or at least have, you know, in the back of their mind, okay, if someone, um, if this doesn't work for someone's body, like how am I going to adjust this or give them something else to do that feels better for their body? Um, Whereas a lot of times you'll just see it's like the, the my way or the highway situation where you have trainers who are just like, oh, you can't do it exactly how I just showed it to you. Then sorry, just keep trying until you get it, which is also (laughs) not at all helpful.
2: (laughs) No.
1: (laughs) Right. And, I actually experienced that going to a yoga class once. Um, I was not flexible at all. It was my first yoga class in ever. Um, and it, everybody else around me, because of the class that I chose specifically on the time, everybody else around me already knew the coach. I was the only newbie uh, there. Mm. And there were blocks and there were um, the big pillowy things that have a name too. Uh, there were all these things there, but no one grabbed them. And when they started going through the motions, they were not accessible for me. I did not have that kind of flexibility. So I grabbed blocks and the looks I got from both the coach or the yoga instructor and the people around me made me never go back to to that space again, because if I felt excluded. <sighs> <That's>, that makes <laughs> me, that, hurt,
0: that hurts my soul. And I'm like, I am personally sorry that happened to you because that is exactly, that is exactly why I became a personal trainer because I've, I've seen that happen in classes. Like it's, it's just it, or like the idea, a a common one is like the idea that like, if you can't, if you're doing kneeling pushups, it's not a real push-up. Are you kidding me? It is virtually the same motion. You're just modifying it. Like a push up wow. is a push up whether you're kneeling or in full extension. Can everyone just get on the same page? There are so just there's so many things that the industry just like nitpicks. And so like your example of like the blocks and mobility. Not everyone is going to have the same mobility anyway, and they don't know if you know is your mobility limited because you have a disability that maybe they can't see, or you know like it, there's no there's no thought to like why was what, like why or no not even concern for does this person feel comfortable or you know, how can I make this better for this person? It's just like, oh, I can't believe you're not doing exactly what we're all doing. And that's right. that's unacceptable. It's unacceptable.
1: Yeah. And I, I still remember it was, I don't remember my class, so I don't remember the pose, but it's the pose where you have to touch the, your toes while standing. Um, so mm. you basically do a complete fold and then you touch your toes. I still can't touch my toes and I will never be able to touch my <laughs> toes unless I'm sitting down and bringing my legs up. And that's okay. okay. <laughs> that's totally okay. That's yeah. perfectly okay. Except when I want to paint them. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it was it was such, it, and that movement is done at the beginning of the class. So that set the tone for the whole class of, mm. oh, right. I can't touch my toes. What else can't I do?
2: Right. right. Instead of, <laughs> oh, let me see what, you know, what new things I can try with my body this time. It's, oh, I can't do that. So I'm definitely already a failure. This class is a total waste within the right. first two minutes
1: yeah um, I would love for the for the instructor to just come to me and say hey you should use the blocks this way it will be better for you or this is how you modify this pose so you don't have to break your hip to put your leg behind your ear um, right <laughs> still can't yoga that especially <laughs> is
2: yoga especially is such a prime example of uh, white cisgender um, if you will. I mean, even like Gwyneth Peltrow took credit for oh, yoga yes. becoming <laughs> popular in the United States. Oh and God, if Gwyneth Paltrow right. is going to be the spokesperson for anything. I am not going to want to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but
2: it's just been so heavily commandeered by, you know, thin white women on a beach with some carefully placed rocks on their blanket, who can yes. do all these crazy <laughs> poses without knocking them over or something, and it's like. How is this supposed to be? How is this supposed to be accessible to anybody else?
0: Well, and the other the other piece of that is that when you have those, so yoga classes are notorious for this. Um, but so another piece of the trauma informed coaching is not touching people without asking their permission first, right? Not oh. approaching from behind, not sneaking up on someone and then correcting them in a very inappropriate way. And uh, yoga, especially, there are so many instructors that will like walk up behind you and grab your hips to correct your positioning. And that's in any other setting that would never be appropriate. But for some reason, no. for some reason, a lot of personal trainers and yogis are, you know, they're like, oh, it's my job to help you do something. So I'm just going to like force your body into a position because I think that that's what should, it should look like. No regard to like, what is this person's range of motion? Does this feel good for this person? Um, In general, should I should ask permission before I touch them. Like all of these things right. are just completely back if they're even thought of, which it, most of the time, I don't think they're even
1: thought of.
2: No, right. no, I don't think so,
0: yeah. Yeah, so I, there, go ahead, sorry.
1: I don't, I see a lot of spaces that do that. Um, The last yoga place I went was a little bit better about asking permission to touch. However, they still adjusted things that did not need adjusting that I would like, no, I don't move that way, hon. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember telling one of my instructors, I had a good rapport with this instructor and I told her outright, honey, I don't move that way. (laughs) That part of me does not have a joint. So let's not push that. I,
0: I can't tell you, so number one, obviously now it's a little different cause I'm currently on zoom with all my clients, but you know, when we are in person, even if I have asked permission a million times to touch or whatever it might be. Um, I still ask again because, you know, just because someone yesterday said it was okay if I touched their shoulder to show them where they should be feeling something doesn't mean that today it's okay. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like that, like consent is an ongoing uh, conversation. It's not like, you know, just a given at any time. Um, and also the uh you said that you said that was a yoga class right as well yeah yeah, yeah um,
1: I more than once. i'm stubborn <laughs> i
0: think that, <laughs> i think that even in you know your regular your regular gym setting um, uh, when you have like a, a group class there's this idea that uh form has to look a certain way so even if you look at form for exercises across the board so um even like the q angle which is so the q angle it's it's is i'm gonna butcher this so prepare yourselves so the q (laughs) angle is like it's this angle that is measured between your hip and your knee and it varies based off of uh, a combination of things um but uh the q angle measurement that they're saying they have said historically is like a good measurement is based off of like a cis cis guy and so there's all this research on acl tears and acl tears are more predominant in um, estrogen dominant bodies um so it's but the thing is all the research is favoring uh testosterone dominant bodies and so therefore you have like all these training plans built for bodies that have different proportions and different just everything things are different and Yeah. yeah and people are like oh there's why why do why do women act why do female athletes or women tear their acls at such a high rate well number one it's because the programming is designed for men and not designed for their bodies number two the science is all based around men and number three because the funding for women's sports is always less yeah. so it, there's even the just even in the science around fitness there's built-in sexism there's built-in fat phobia there's built-in ableism So when you're talking about form and you're talking about a general fitness class, like the idea of what a perfect squat might look like is going to vary based on your body. Like everyone's squat is going to look different. Like what might be your perfect squat is going to look different than mine. And it's just, there's so many people who are so adamant that if you aren't holding your body a certain way, or you're not able to reach a certain uh, level of depth in a squat or whatever it is that you are doing it wrong. And that's just not the case.
2: Right.
1: Right, the personal coach that I have now emphasizes a lot of what are the modifications you need to for make to make this exercise, whatever it is, accessible to you and and the way that she always says it it's also a virtual class. she's in Pennsylvania, so it will always be virtual uh but I showed her around in my space, and she would tell me things like when you're squatting because your knees bother you, squat into the couch. Yes, not into the air. So you know where your butt needs to stop. Um the other thing is we talked about the push-ups before. Since my knees bother me, the the knee push-ups were not accessible for me, but push-ups from the ground were not either. So she had me grab a chair and do elevated push-ups instead. Yes. Yeah. And yes. start lowering and measure my progress and how much I can go lower without hurting anything. Um, I have to record myself to make sure that my angles on my hands are correct and that I'm not twisting my knees anyway uh, so I don't get injuries on on my shoulders, knees and toes. Uh (laughs) (laughs) So that is what I look for in a good trainer, someone that can work with what I've been given that is body, Um, which ties into the other concerns that we were talking about, about touching or correcting where you shouldn't correct. Do you have any other recommendations for someone that is looking for a trainer or an instructor? What should they look for? What questions should they ask to make sure that this person aligns with what you need? That is
0: also a big question, Um, a good question too so in my experience the questions that i wish i had asked previous trainers that i've worked with um would probably have been around if something if something hurts my body or if i can't do something what do you like what is your response like how do you respond to clients who um don't like like even if i just don't like something right are you going to try to make me do this thing or are you going to say okay you know what there's a million different movements we can do so let's try to find something that works better for you um and so that right off the bat if there's this is the coach who is not going to modify probably not the coach for you um if you have any sort of chronic health conditions uh i would also ask specifically have you worked with someone with x um ability so like, for example, I have glenoid dysplasia in my right shoulder, which means um, it's a congenital defect. The, the glenoid fossa, which is where your humeral head sits, is uh, supposed to be kind of like a smooth, semi-rounded area where your humeral head just like nicely sits in it. Um, however, mine is like, I actually just had the x-rays a few months ago. It was very cool to see, uh, but it's <laughs> like jagged and it has, it, it's missing, it didn't fully ossify. So it, it, the joint never fully formed. So what that has meant is that my entire life, I've had a different length, range of motion on my right shoulder than my left, because my right shoulder is rotated anteriorly slightly, and also just has pretty significant restrictions on where it can move skeletally. Um, and I've had so many trainers and even PTs try to tell me that I just needed to stretch more, um, and, oh. which demonstrates a complete misunderstanding of my anatomy, number one. Yeah. And number two, it disregards the fact that I'm telling you something hurts and you're trying to get me to, you know, push through that. So, uh, so asking, you know, have you ever worked with someone who has this and uh, whatever it might be. And on, so on a related uh, note, I actually was just re- recently diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is a uh, connective tissue disorder. And uh, it essentially means that my tendons and ligative, ligaments have more laxity than they should, um, which actually in retrospect has explained so much of my life because uh, I am not someone who stretches, I've never been someone who stretches and I've always been incredibly flexible. So uh, right. a lot of things have made sense, <laughs> but yeah. um, but now it's funny because th- there have been times in my life where I've worked with trainers, whether it was when I was playing sports in college or you know later, um where my form looked different than other people's and the trainer was like really bent on trying to get me to have my form look how they thought it should look and i just like couldn't do it and i would try and i would try and i would try and like it would net it would just never line up so with th- with that being said if you i think twofold number one asking have you worked with someone who has ehlers-danlos syndrome or whatever whatever you have going on or even mm-hmm. like have you worked with a trans person right like yeah these are questions you have to ask, because if, if this is some cis dude who has only ever worked with other cis men and thinks that you know uh, women should only work out to like look a certain way or whatever, you're gonna find out really quickly, unfortunately, when you start training with that person that it's not a good fit. Um, and so just asking like, what populations do you work with? Well, um, do you try to change the goals that you just listed to them? Or are they creatively working with you to kind of say, okay, so I hear that you want this. Like, here's how I can help you get to this point. Um, Because, you know, not all goals are realistic. Like, for example, I'd love to climb Mount Everest. Probably not the most (laughs) realistic goal I can set for myself. Uh, But there are other goals that are similar to that. So I'd like to climb a mountain. And, like, your trainer should be able to, like, get you to that mountain. But uh, so, so there's a difference between, like, modifying goals to be, like, more realistic versus being, like, no, actually, I think you need to work on this and um so that would be like another red flag i would say um outside of that you know just kind of the standard you can you can tell by how people talk about bodies a lot about what they think um which can be hard to tell from like looking at a website because you know websites are going to have everyone's best um hopefully best face forward but uh yeah so i don't know it's honestly that's a challenging question there is um so the Shape Center in Rhode Island, uh, locally, um, like I said, has a bunch of um, health at every size providers. Um, there is a body positive fitness finder through um, a company called Superfit Hero that makes inclusive um, fitness fitness clothing like athletic wear. Cool. And um, I know that so I'm on that. Uh, they have like a thing where you can search the U.S. to find trainers, and um, I'm on there. Um, I don't know. The problem with some of the databases is that they'll have trainers who are specifically body positive but may never have met a trans person or are body positive and uh, have no like experience working with anyone with a disability. So you kind of have a mixed bag there. And I will say that there are definitely some people who are body positive and not body neutral in that yeah. field. So there's no, there's no easy answer to that question is really what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Right, you have to have a conversation and see if if you're building a rapport with your future trainer, if they align with your vision with your vision, with your issues, with your um goals and with your scare parts too. If you're scared of doing something that they should understand that too. That's what I meant. <laughs> yes. You also could ask um a
0: really easy question. You could say, What do you think of the fitness industry? <laughs>
1: because I think that's gonna tell you a lot. <laughs> if they can record a podcast about it, then yes, that will be a good time. <laughs> yeah.
2: Or if they use air quotes when you say fitness industry, you know or you have you a winner.
0: The the I the eye roll, the
1: compulsory eye roll, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um so speaking of of eye rolling. <laughs> eye rolling, yes, and um goals that you have what do you wish people would focus on in terms of fitness instead of the number on the scale? Or what would you recommend as an alternative for people that want to get into fitness, but they don't want to work on a number on the scale because whatever reason they have? Ooh, I love this question. <laughs> okay,
0: so <laughs> there are so many options. So you have your process, you, you have process goals. So if you're someone who's just trying to get into a routine, you can start by figuring out what that looks like for you. So you can say like, I want to work out three days a week. Um, Here are the days I'm going to try to, and then you could try to establish a schedule. So that's kind of like option one. Option two, um, you can try to build strength. So um, you can do workouts that focus on building muscle, uh, building strength. You can focus on specific movements. So for example, a lot of people have never been able to do a pull-up or a push-up. And so a lot of the first questions they ask is how can i do this like what do i need to do to get me to this so um and there's a there's so many different movements that you can work on and master and then there's a never-ending list of more that you can try to master after that so that that's a that's a that's honestly that's my favorite thing about uh training is like trying to learn new movements and trying to figure out what my body can and can't do i think that's a that's a kind of fun game to play um you also you know you have your endurance based goals you have um you also just, you know, feeling good. I think that that's one that's really overlooked is, you know, you get positive endorphins from working out, Um, you sleep better, uh, depending on, um, depending on what kind of workouts you're doing, Um, you're increasing your bone density. Like there's like, there's a whole host of like, good things that come from movement. And not just from like, you know, an hour of running or an hour of heavy lifting, right? I'm talking like 10 minutes of yoga. 10 minutes of like walking, like any of those things. Like movement also doesn't have to be this like grueling, long, arduous thing. It can also just be a break that you took where you stretched for 10 minutes. Like that's taking care of your body too. And that's also an important part of having any sort of movement practice. So all that to say, you can throw out your scale if you
1: want because there are Mm -hmm. so many other options, you don't need it.
2: (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, for me, I know it was do Push ups from the floor, plank style, I guess, or from your toes to your hand. Yosh, yep. how they're called. Um, I was able to find, I was finally able to do those not that long ago. So, weird. um, nice. congratulations! <laughs> so now I'm working on trying to do 20 at once. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's a good goal. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm at five right now. <laughs>
2: hey, nice. <laughs> but, I'm, a, uh, I'm a big fan of horror movies. Uh, So most of my fitness goals revolve around if I was in a scenario where a serial killer (laughs) was trying to get to me, would I be able to run away and or fight back uh, (laughs) properly? So working on that.
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Oh, another one I remembered that I haven't been able to do yet. Uh, There's a wrestling move that my husband taught me and I want to be able to beat him at it. And I don't remember the name. (laughs) But it's basically that you grab each other's legs. You're on the floor and your legs are like tied together in a pretzel and you you need to flip each other in the opposite side that the other person is trying to flip Mm -hmm. you. So it's like arm wrestle but with your legs.
0: That's awesome.
1: That's a good goal. That's my goal to be able Indian leg wrestling. That's probably not the correct name. Um, He's also our sound engineer for our podcast uh listeners that's probably not the correct name um but you basically wrap your legs around and I just want to turn him over um I haven't been able to do that one yet
2: so is that what but, being married is like <laughs>
1: yes, yes that is actually
0: <laughs>
1: and <That's> funny, awesome.
0: <laughs> what's funny is uh my my spouse uh I do not co- coach my spouse uh, so that's in our household that's what being married is like is that my spouse and I work out separately, and so we we don't we don't do the uh the co i guess co wrestling so to speak
1: right but
0: yeah.
1: oh yeah we c- can, we can't work out together we we get cranky at each other
0: yes okay. no it's it's real yeah. it's real
1: yeah i I can sympathize with that. <laughs> Um, so we're almost at the end of this uh, do you have any other advice for our listeners or any other thoughts that you would like to bring up
0: um, I feel like we've covered a lot um, I I guess I just want to say like you know if you're listening to this and this is your first time ever hearing about an alternative to the more normative fitness industry um, you don't have to keep Participating in something that doesn't feel good. There are lots of trainers who are working outside of those norms and are trying to create more accessible and inclusive spaces. And I think as we move forward, more and more gyms that are focused on those specifics uh, will be uh, opening and hopefully, um, you know, providing more resources uh, to the communities. So, so yeah, you don't have to. If you hate your trainer, you should stop seeing your trainer. I think is what I'd like everyone to, to know. Is that you don't have to keep right. going to someone who makes you feel terrible.
1: Because I did that before; it was miserable, and I'm so glad that I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and where can people find you? Oh yes. So I am. So the Alien Athletes website is
0: um, AlienAthletes.co. And um, I'm also on Instagram and Facebook. Um, on Facebook, and I believe it is also just slash Alien Athletes. And then on Instagram, it's at Alien Athlete with no S because someone else already has the S. Uh, and it is a page full of memes of athletes as aliens. So if you what? go to at Alien Athletes, it is a very strange place, and it is not my page. So go to at Alien Athlete on Instagram. <laughs> I wish I were joking.
2: Oh my god. I'm glad that you're not. Yeah. I would check yeah. that out.
0: I mean, it's a cool it's a cool concept, um, but you know, just it's a little confusing for people who might be looking for me. So, yeah.
1: That's pretty awesome. Uh, oh, I may look up both pages and join oh, both yeah. just because
2: Oh, no question. I
1: love <laughs> a good meme page. It's it,
0: I think it was honestly, I think it was mostly uh, NBA players as well, if I, last I checked. So Godspeed.
2: Oh, <laughs> okay. that's a very uh, Space Jam vibe to it. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah, reminiscent of Space Jam, but not at all. So
2: okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fine.
1: Yeah, they, they took the concept and, and took off running. Have yeah, not stopped yes. since. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alice, for having this conversation yes. with us. Thank I you. learned a lot. Um, and best of luck. And thank you, Atticus, for joining us. So uh, for of our course. listeners that don't know, Atticus is also our producer and our scheduler, and every once in a while he jumps in on our call. Occasionally, you
2: know.
1: <laughs> a <of> right. <laughs> so thank you everyone. Thank you for
0: having me. Virgin Territories is a podcast by the CSPH, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing culturally inclusive, medically accurate, and pleasure-guided sexuality education, therapy, and professional training to adults. To learn
2: more about the CSPH,
0: please visit our
2: website at thecsph.org. There, you can sign up for our newsletter. And if you enjoyed this podcast,
0: please consider making a donation to support our work.